David Atterbury, and this is Big Truths, a weekly podcast where we grow in Christian doctrine through the door of church history. Again, I am excited to bring to you another letter of Ignatius. This time, it's his third letter. It's the letter of Ignatius to the Trolleans. I want to review a few things with you before we jump into the letter. A couple of things to be on the lookout for in this letter. One of the things that stands out to me the most in this letter is Ignatius' orthodox faith. He is insistent upon being in Christ and in Christ alone. And something I find interesting in this letter is that there's a very early uh, structure and outline of what we know as the Apostles' Creed. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, He mentioned in the last letter, and in this even more clearly, how Jesus really did suffer under Pontius Pilate. So maybe remember that in the Apostles' Creed. He mentions the Incarnation, that it really happened. He mentions that we are saved by faith alone. And so when we think about what heresy is, As we think about the needs for confessions of faith and creeds, uh, something I think is important to understand is that heresy comes first and then orthodoxy. Now, what do we mean by that? Heresy comes first. Uh, There has to be a rejection of true Christian faith before there can be an official, clear, stated response to the false teaching. And that clear response to false teaching uh, document that's put forward that all the churches must agree on as the faith once for all delivered to the saints, we usually call that a statement of orthodoxy. So heresy historically has come first. And so Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He was really born. He really ate and drank, as Ignatius writes about. The Apostle John also uh, dealt with this. This is one of the reasons people believe that Ignatius was a disciple of the Apostle John. There's so much about the letter of 1 John that's similar to the letters of Ignatius. And one of the heresies that Ignatius attacks, he has to deal with and confront is the belief that Jesus Christ really didn't have a physical body. Jesus Christ was a spirit, and he came to earth in appearance only. He looked like a man. He seemed to be real, but he really wasn't. And the reason for this is a constellation of belief called Gnosticism. It's spelled G-N- O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism. The G is silent. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, which is the word for knowledge. So Gnosticism is sort of like Scientology. It's this very kind of secret knowledge, and it's through gaining access deeper and deeper into this secret knowledge that we understand and are more enlightened. Uh, Gnosticism was a heresy that the early church dealt with that said our physical life, this physical world, it was created by an evil being, but the things that are spiritual 
are of God. So this physical life, your desires, your appetites, your body, your desire to eat, uh, your desire to be married and have relations with your spouse, Gnostics would say that's dirty, that's evil, that's foul, it's rotten, that's bad. We shouldn't give ourselves over to these sorts of hungers and appetites. We should be ashamed of our bodies. Now, if you were to read 1 Timothy chapter 4, this is something that Paul dealt with as well. He called this kind of teaching the doctrine of demons. And so Ignatius has to deal with this as well. As people had a hard time in the early church grasping the idea that God would become man, that he would take on human flesh in the person of the eternal son. And so they denied that Jesus had a real body. They denied that he was really born of Mary. And so Ignatius tackles this false belief, especially clearly in this letter to the Trollians. He said Jesus Christ had a real body. He ate and drank. So we can be grateful to Ignatius for defending the historic orthodox understanding of the incarnation of Christ. And so I said heresy comes first and then orthodoxy. So orthodoxy is the response that has to come to heresy, the clear defense of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so as we develop in church history these different creeds and confessions of faith, we're not making up theology as we go along. We are defending things that in previous generations we didn't think we had to clearly state and defend. We assumed, well, everyone knows this. But heresy comes along afterwards and we have to now clarify what we have always believed as Christians. And so in the same way that during the Reformation, uh, there had to be a clear distinction between faith alone and works righteousness. But in previous generations, Christians didn't really have to make clear or as clear uh, what now we have to make clear because new heresies come up with every generation. And so as we look at the letters of Ignatius, he's not as clear as we would like him to be about uh, faith alone. But then again, he didn't have to be. And so in these letters, there's a large amount of assumptions he makes. He probably didn't feel he had to clearly state every single thing that he believed and defend every single thing he taught because he assumed the churches he's writing to are very well-founded and well-taught. And so we're grateful for Scripture because Scripture speaks to all churches. Ignatius, even in these letters, he states, I'm not an apostle. I'm not going to give you commands like an apostle. And so when he writes, he's limited in scope, uh, not only because he's not an apostle, but also because the words that Ignatius is writing are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. A few more things I think would be good to point out before we jump into the letter is that, again, we hear of the role of the pastors of the church, as understood by Ignatius. We have the role of the bishop, which we could say is the senior pastor of the church, and we have the role of the Council of Presbyters. Now, what are those? I mentioned last week what the word bishop meant. A bishop comes from episkopos, so episkopos bishop. A bishop is just a corruption of the Greek 
episkopos, which literally means overseer or supervisor. We have this other term called presbyteros. And last week, again, I mentioned that presbyteros is the Greek word for elder or even elderly. It's the same word that you see in the Gospels, the scribes and the elders, uh, those elderly, respected men in the community, the elders of a community, those who sit at the gates. But there is an office in the church that Jesus has given to us, as explained through his Holy Spirit by the apostles, which is the office of overseer. Now, we as Baptists believe that the office of pastor, elder, overseer is one office with three different terms, three different names. Other denominations of Christians don't believe that. They believe that there is the office of elder and there's the office of pastor, and they would say those are two different offices. For example, the Presbyterians believe in that. Presbyterian, that comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which means elders. And so one thing that I think Ignatius is flat out wrong about is the nature and the constituting cause of the church. So what makes a church a church? In previous episodes and articles, I have dealt with this, so I won't go into that too much. But I would draw your attention to our website, bigtruths.net. If you want to learn more about what makes a church a church, you can find those series of episodes entitled FBC Cracker Barrel, where I talk about the difference between a Cracker Barrel Christian coffee club and the true church of the New Testament. And so Ignatius in this letter says that the constituting cause of a church are its pastors. I disagree. And Baptists throughout church history over the past 400 years or so have also disagreed. Protestants, even before that, the magisterial reformers, they disagreed as well. They have said that what makes a true church are two things, the two marks of a true church, the right preaching of the word of God and the right administration of the ordinances. So Ignatius, I believe, is wrong on this. He says that the true church can be found wherever you have the bishop and the council of presbyters. And in regards to how deacons and pastors should conduct themselves, Ignatius has some wonderful things to say. Even though he's incorrect in some areas, there's so much that we can benefit from Ignatius in other ways. He talks about deacons and the need for them to avoid criticism like one would avoid fire. He talks about the power of a pastor and his gentleness. He talks about how churches should be connected to one another and love one another. I also appreciate the humble attitude of Ignatius that he has on display in this church. He was the senior pastor of the church in Syria, and he talks about how he's not even worthy to be considered a member of that church. He's only just now learning how to become a disciple of Jesus Christ through his trials. He is entering into deeper and deeper experiences of what it means to carry one's cross. He's such a wonderful, humble man. He even admits his struggles with sin how he's dealing with envy, even though you may not see it on the outside of him, inside there's still a war 
going on in his own heart. He's still battling with his own flesh. And finally, before we jump in, I love what he has to say about God's plan in allowing us to lack certain things. He says we lack such things so as not to lack God. I think that's so wonderful. As we think about the struggles we go through, sometimes we don't have the things we want. Sometimes we are deprived of things we would rather have. And Ignatius says why. It's all according to the good and sovereign plan of the Lord. He knows what's best for us. And sometimes we lack certain things so that we may have more of God. Well, I hope you're blessed by the letter of Ignatius to the Trollanes. And let's jump right in. Ignatius to the Trollaeans. Ignatius, the image bearer to the Holy Church at Trollus in Asia, dearly loved by God the Father of Jesus Christ, elect and worthy of God, at peace in flesh and spirit through the suffering of Jesus Christ, who is our hope when we rise to be with him, which I greet in the fullness of God in the apostolic manner, and offer heartiest greetings. I know that you have a disposition that is blameless and unwavering in patient endurance, not from habit, but by nature, inasmuch as Polybius, your bishop, informed me when, by the will of God and Jesus Christ, he visited me in Smyrna. So heartily did he rejoice with me, a prisoner in Christ Jesus, that in him I saw your entire congregation. Having received, therefore, your godly goodwill through him, I praised God when I found out that you were, as I had learned, imitators of God. For when you are subject to the bishop as to Jesus Christ, it is evident to me that you are living not in accordance with human standards, but in accordance with Jesus Christ, who died for us, in order that by believing in his death you may escape death. It is essential, therefore, that you continue your current practice and do nothing without the bishop, but be subject also to the council of presbyters as to the apostles of Jesus Christ, our hope in whom we shall be found if we so live. Furthermore, it is necessary that those who are deacons of the mystery of Jesus Christ please everyone in every respect, for they are not merely deacons of food and drink, but ministers of God's church. Therefore, they must avoid criticism as though it were fire." Similarly, let everyone respect the deacons as Jesus Christ, just as they should respect the bishop, who is a model of the Father, and the presbyters as God's counsel and as the band of apostles. Without these, no group can be called a church. 
church. I am sure that you agree with me regarding these matters, for I received a living example of your love, and still have it with me, in the person of your bishop, whose very demeanor is a great lesson, and whose gentleness is his power. I think that even the godless respect him. Because I love you, I am sparing you, though I could write more sharply on his behalf. But I did not think myself qualified for this, that I, a convict, should give you orders as though I were an apostle. I have many deep thoughts in union with God, but I take my own measure, lest I perish by boasting. For now I must be more careful and pay no attention to those who flatter me. For those who speak to me in this manner torture me. For while I strongly desire to suffer, I do not know whether I am worthy. For the envy, though not apparent to many, wages war against me all the more. Therefore I need gentleness, by which the ruler of this age is destroyed. Am I not able to write to you about heavenly things? But I am afraid to, lest I should cause harm to you who are mere babes. So bear with me, lest you be choked by what you are unable to swallow. For I myself, though I am in chains and can comprehend heavenly things, the ranks of the angels and the hierarchy of principalities, things visible and invisible. Despite all this, I am not yet a disciple, for we still lack many things, so that we may not lack God. I urge you, therefore, yet not I, but the love of Jesus Christ, partake only of Christian food, and keep away from every strange plant, which is heresy. These people, while pretending to be trustworthy, mix Jesus Christ with themselves, like those who administer a deadly drug with honeyed wine, which the unsuspecting victim accepts without fear, and so with fatal pleasure drinks down death. Therefore be on your guard against such people, and you will be, provided that you are not puffed up with pride, and that you cling inseparably to Jesus Christ and to the bishop and to the commandments of the apostles. The one who is within the sanctuary is clean, but the one who is outside the sanctuary is not clean. That is, whoever does anything without the bishop and council of presbyters and deacons does not have a clean conscience. Not that I know of any such thing among you, rather I am guarding you in advance, because you are very dear to me, and I foresee the snares of the devil. You therefore must arm yourselves with gentleness and regain your strength in faith, which is the flesh of the Lord, and in love, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. Let none of you hold a grudge against his neighbor. Do not give any opportunity to the pagans, lest the godly majority be blasphemed on account of a few foolish people. For, woe to the one through whose folly my name is blasphemed among any.
be deaf. Therefore, when anyone speaks to you apart from Jesus Christ, who was of the family of David, who was the son of Mary, who really was born, who both ate and drank, who really was persecuted under Pontius Pilate, who really was crucified and died, while those in heaven and on earth and under the earth looked on, who moreover really was raised from the dead when his father raised him up. In the same way, his father will likewise also raise up in Christ Jesus us who believe in him. Apart from him, we have no true life. But if, as some atheists, that is unbelievers, say he suffered in appearance only, while they exist in appearance only, why am I in chains? And why do I want to fight with wild beasts? If that is the case, I die for no reason. What is more, I am telling lies about the Lord. Flee, therefore, from these wicked offshoots that bear deadly fruit. If anyone even tastes it, he dies on the spot. These people are not the Father's planting. For if they were, they would appear as branches of the cross, and their fruit would be imperishable. The same cross by which he, through his suffering, calls you who are his members. The head, therefore, cannot be born without members, since God promises unity, which he himself is. I greet you from Smyrna, together with the churches of God that are present with me, people who have refreshed me in every respect, physically as well as spiritually. My chains, which I carry around for the sake of Jesus Christ while praying that I may reach God, exhort you, persevere in your unanimity and in prayer with one another. For it is right for each one of you, and especially the presbyters, to encourage the bishop to the honor of the Father and to the honor of Jesus Christ and of the apostles. I pray that you will listen to me in love, so that I may not by virtue of having written to you, become a witness against you. But also pray for me, for I need your love and the mercy of God, so that I may be reckoned worthy of the fate that I am eager to obtain, lest I be found disqualified. The love of the Smyrnaeans and of the Ephesians greets you. Remember in your prayers the church in Syria of which I am not worthy to be considered a member, being as I am the very least of them. Farewell, in Jesus Christ. Be subject to the bishop as to the commandment, and likewise to the council of presbyters, and love one another, each one of you, with an undivided heart. My spirit is dedicated to you, not only now, but also when I reach God, for I am still in danger, but the Father is faithful. In Jesus Christ, he will fulfill my prayer and yours. May we be found blameless in him.